Welcome to Insights with Sights, the symphony of scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca/podcast. We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Seitz. In our lessons for this Sunday, the conclusion, or parts of it, from the book of Ruth will wrap up track one's brief summary of that marvelous brief work and joins to it an equally uplifting Psalm 127. In track two, the reading from 1 Kings 17, Elijah and the widow from Zarephath has been chosen to come alongside Jesus' bold final commendation of the widow who, out of poverty, has put in everything she had into the temple treasury. Mark has aligned this brief account with Jesus' condemnation of those scribes who love their finery but have fleeced widows contemptuously. Our epistle reading continues with selections from the letter to the Hebrews now at the ninth chapter. As in the Gospels and in Mark, Jesus has entered the sanctuary of the temple and cleansed it. He confronts likewise the uncleanness of religious leaders in their manifold roles and contrasts it severely with the fragrant offering of this poor widow. Through his death, Jesus has entered a heavenly sanctuary and the author of Hebrews explains the permanent significance of that, to which in a moment. First track one. Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, we recall, had indicated how perilous the decision to come with her would be. Ruth is a widow, as is Naomi, but also without inheritance or support alone in a foreign country through her decision to cling to Naomi. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, had a wealthy kinsman named Boaz. So Naomi conspires to put Ruth in his path. We know from Deuteronomy that the poor may glean in the fields, even as in this case it is also risky given the festivities which mark the final days of the harvest season. Boaz, we learn, had already taken notice of Ruth gleaning with the others, and he commends her for her kind treatment of her mother-in-law, which has been made known to him. So the situation is auspicious, and when Ruth tells her of this, Naomi sees it as a kindness of the Lord and concocts her plan, to which Ruth complies. Boaz is indeed an honorable choice, 
though we learn he is not the closest kin, and so the plot thickens. But the unnamed kinsman relinquishes his claim, and Boaz takes on the role of perpetuating the name of the deceased husband. Then, by surprise, when a child is born to the happy couple, the women of the village speak of the resolution of Ruth's and Naomi's losses both and proclaim a son has been born to Naomi. Indeed, we learn he will be the grandfather of David. And the path paved by Ruth, we learn in the final verses of the book, had its forerunners back in time, strong and bold Gentile women, all of them. Children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a gift, so says the psalmist. Here, surprising even Naomi, who had cautioned Ruth, but who finds a son laid on her own nursing breast. With these two widows, provided by the track one reading, we have a helpful entry onto the gospel story of the widow's might. Our widow has thrown herself and all she has onto the mercy of God, just like, just like Ruth, though her gift of, through her gift of two lepta, the smallest coins there are, but all she has. Our track two reading has been chosen for the Old Testament from the 17th chapter of Kings, which also provides a widow from yet another episode in God's plans with his people. You may recall that in Luke's gospel, the episode is referred to in this way, underscoring the point from another angle. In truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Well known and repeated often, are the solemn injunctions in the Old Testament to care for widows whose fate is especially precarious. Neglecting this or abusing one's own power in probate, possibly a scribal profession, are matters severely to be punished. In our story from Kings, we have a famine like unto that of Ruth, and God commands Elijah to go to Sidon and be fed there. On its face, one might assume that the idea makes sense if the famine hasn't reached that far, and that appears right, as Elijah's request first for water is complied with by the widow who's out gathering sticks. But his request for food reveals how meager famine-ridden are this poor widow's stocks. She's been collecting wood for a fire for her last meal, she says, for she and for her and her son, and then to lay down and die. Elijah announces he will have none of that, but first she is to prepare a cake for him. 
Having done so, Elijah provides his Old Testament version of the multiplication of loaves, and we learn that having thrown herself all in, this widow, so also Ruth and Naomi, and our widow for today with her two meager lepta, we learn God is good on his promises. Jesus remembers the same story and holds it up to remind, in Luke's gospel, his hometown people, just how far the love of God reaches into the famines of our lives. Yes, to Moab or Sidon, or at the very steps of the temple itself. Our psalm lines it out nicely. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord cares for the stranger. He sustains the orphan and widow. And our psalm equally cautions, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. So put not your trust in rulers. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth, and in that day their thoughts perish. Our gospel reading from Mark has the commendation of the widow preceded by yet one further and final encounter of Jesus with the religious leaders in strong contrast with the good scribe who answered Jesus well and was told he was not far from the kingdom of God. Here we see Jesus observing others' scribes, those who love long robes, clothing of distinction, best seats in church and in culture, the knowing salutations of admirers. Of course, all these things could be tolerable, if excessive, one supposes. Yet we learn they go hand in hand with taking advantage of the least of God's own. Those to be set apart for special care and attention given their vulnerability, as if instead of protecting Ruth, she would be violated and thrown into hopelessness without bottom, and Naomi's bitterness tripled, or Elijah stealing the last stores of a poor widow and her dying son. Treasury gifts from a poor widow, giving all that she has so as to finance lavish robes and places of honor and salutations for their public displays of the same. Devouring widows' houses is taking the only thing left to them through skillful scribal manipulation or by some other means not detailed by Jesus. Ironically, the scribes, some of them Levites, are also numbered among those needing special attention given their sacrificial role without inheritance. Like unto widows, something has gone terribly wrong here. And as his last act before crossing the threshold to final trial, persecution, and death, Jesus takes the time to teach for one last time his disciples. Then he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, 
all she had to live on. And in this action, who is she most like but the one who will give his life as a ransom? Hebrews can have the last word then. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of his own life. And just as it is appointed for mortals to die once and after that the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Ruth, Naomi, the widow of Zarephath, and our final widow at the threshold of Jesus' sacrifice of love. We hope you enjoyed Insights with Sights, the symphony of Scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca slash podcast. Thank you, and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.